Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to You with and through Your Son. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we come to You blessed. We come to You happy and delighted. We come to You poor in spirit, mourning, meek, come to You hungry. We come to You as those who are sinful, yet You make us pure in heart. We come to You as those who have received mercy. We come to You as those who some of us have been persecuted for righteousness' sake. But Lord, we come to You who are rich, rich in You. We come to You as those who are empty, but we dwell in You as those who are rich. And so, Lord, open up our hearts that we might see the riches of heaven for which we have received this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Our famed Gospel reading this morning, the Beatitudes, is utterly simple, yet deeply profound. Utterly simple, yet full of deep and rich profundity. Christ begins His Sermon on the Mount not with commands, does He? But with statements. He gives descriptions of truth to His disciples, not general commands to accomplish. Why? Because commands turn us to what we are to do and how we are to do it. But statements, even more precisely, descriptions of truth, They turn us to something altogether different. They turn us to truth itself. If we wish to practice this blessed way, then we must know who it is. We must know the one for whom it is centered upon. One does not conjugate sentences without first knowing the alphabet. And neither does a disciple walk truthfully without first receiving Christ. Yes, we must know who this is for whom Jesus speaks. And so I invite you to open up your service booklets this morning to our Gospel reading. Let us attend ourselves to hearing this word of the Lord for His church. The scene that's brought before us is that of a mixed crowd. It's that of a mountain and that of a master. Mixed crowd, mountain, master. That's what we see at the very start of this passage. In the previous chapter, Jesus had called His disciples 
taught in synagogues, healed many diseases and afflictions, so that we are told that his fame spread throughout all Syria and that great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. It is these great crowds and this great crowd that we see in chapter 5, verse 1, that sets the stage of the Master's great sermon. The Sermon on the Mount. He speaks to a mixed multitude. He speaks for His church. Notice Christ's words go forth to a mixed crowd. Those who are His disciples and those who are not. So just because one enters the church doesn't make her saved. Just because one regularly hears the gospel does not make him a disciple. Judas Iscariot was one of the twelve. But was he not one, the one who was preoccupied with fleshly and worldly matters? Was he not the one for whom the devil entered? Christ's disciples may not be of the world, but they are to live in it and among those who are not His disciples. We must dwell in a mixed crowd. The disciples may belong to Christ, but they are to live among the people. Now notice the mountain in this passage. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, and Jesus is fulfilling the law. No doubt that this would have reminded the Jews of Mount Sinai. Like the giving of the law, Jesus' sermon is signaling a divine event with enormous magnitude. But instead of giving commands that reveal depravity, He gives statements that reveal His saving character. That's what we see in these Beatitudes. Statements that reveal the very saving character of Christ. And notice how we are told that Jesus not only went up on the mountain, but that when he sat down, his disciples came to him. His disciples are those who came to him. It was not the crowd that did this, but his disciples. And notice how Jesus takes the posture of a rabbi, teacher, and master preparing to teach. He sits down. That is what a rabbi would have done in antiquity, preparing to teach. He would sit down. And in sitting down, his disciples do what? When they see the Master take the posture of providing saving grace, what do they do? They come to him. They prepare themselves to receive what the Master has to say. When the Master prepares to teach, His disciples attend to Him. They listen to Him. It's not good enough to hear a sermon. It's not good enough to hear Christ's words and to witness His works. No, if we wish to be the blessed citizens of the Master's kingdom, then we must delight in the Lord. We must delight in the One who fulfills the law. Christ's disciples are those who must see Him and listen to Him and respond to Him. As the psalmist says, we must desire what He desires. 
And as Christ reveals in these Beatitudes, a disciple of His who is called and promised must be like Him. So the question that emerges from this passage is this. Who will claim their heritage of blessing by believing in Jesus Christ and His Word? Who are truly the members of this blessed heavenly kingdom? Who are Christ's disciples? Who are members of His true church? The answer to this question is found in verse 4 of our psalm reading this morning. It is those who delight in the Lord. They are the ones who are blessed. Nothing will separate them from the love of God in Christ Jesus, their Lord. It is those who delight in the Lord. Those are the ones who are blessed. So let us walk through each of Christ's blessed statements briefly. And let us see more vividly who is He and who are they that delight in the Lord. First, Jesus calls them blessed. They are those whose happiness is not overcome by their poverty, grief, or opposition. They are those whose happiness is not overcome by their hunger, pity for others, purity, peaceful striving, or persecution. But rather, such are signs of true happiness. Such are signs of true benefits. Such are signs of delight. You see, classical literature provides insight to this Greek word, makarios, which means blessed or happy. In the ancient times, the Greeks called certain islands the Makarioi Isles, as they thought that deep within the core was something that made these isles so lush and fruitful and beautiful. You see, at the heart of these islands was something so special that it was able to overcome even the most worst of circumstances. These isles were happy. They were blessed, delighted, unconquerable. They were greatly rewarded. It is these for whom Jesus describes who are those who will not only show the character and ethic of the kingdom of God, but those who will have pure delight and great benefits. They are those who are like Him. Second, Jesus says that those who delight in the Lord or are blessed are those who are poor in spirit. They are the ones who possess the kingdom of heaven. Their security is not in money or power or fame or status or knowledge or experience. They sacrifice everything for Him. They have no hope in anything else but the one who truly matters. All of their distractions and preoccupations have ceased. Their delight is in Him and Him alone. Their desires are His desires. Yes, they are poor in spirit, but rich in Christ's kingdom. They are those who have sacrificed all for Him. As Paul writes, 
the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Those who are poor in spirit are those who are rich in the cross. Those who are raised to heavenly places with Christ, where He has given them all authority. These are the ones who are blessed. These are the ones who are poor in spirit. Third, Jesus says that those who delight in the Lord or are blessed are those who mourn and will be comforted. We undeniably hear a call for disciples to come away from the crowd, don't we? This becomes clear with every beatitude. Those who are mourning are those who are doing without the world. And these are the ones who will be comforted. If we never suffer, we can certainly never experience consolation. Those who refuse to accommodate to the wisdom of the world are those who are blessed. Those who grieve all that has been lost in this world are those who will long for that day when all things are made right and new. The world dreams of human progress, but the disciples meditate on Christ's goodness. The great 20th century theologian and martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that to such heights the world cannot rise. This is only for those who mourn. Those who are strangers in this world. Those who are rejected in this world. And those who are embraced in heaven. Fourth, Jesus says those who delight in the Lord or are blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. A foreigner has no status, or excuse me, a foreigner has not the status of a citizen, does he? He owns no land. But these earthly foreigners who have their citizenship in the kingdom of heaven are meek. And because they are meek, they are powerful, Jesus says. You see, like a horse who is tamed, so is one who is meek. The horse does not lose its power, but becomes controlled. Heavenly foreigners do not need earthly citizenship to gain the favor and influence of others. No, they have the favor of God, the under-the-radar power of Christ. They need nothing else but Him alone. They are meek, but not powerless, because they live for the Supreme Lord. They do not defend themselves, but walk obediently and patiently and truthfully. They leave their rights to God alone. They are strange symbols that show that they do not belong in this world. They've been described as those who are so heavenly that have no earthly good. But the opposite is true. It is because they are so heavenly that all the earth is theirs. Fifth, Jesus says that those who delight in the Lord or are blessed 
by those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled and satisfied. They're not satisfied by the favor of the world. Their sacrifices and achievements are not for earthly praise. They're not righteous themselves, but they hunger for it. They know that they cannot achieve it, but they long for the one who can. They love the law of the Lord and they meditate it all the day long, the psalmist says. How? But by seeing it more clearly. That's how. They see not the law through the glass dimly, but clearly. They see it by the one who fulfills it. Anything less will not make one hungrier and certainly not satisfied. But because of this vision of God's atonement grace, they long for that future glory when all their sins will be no more, all falsehood will be destroyed, and all their life and this world will be renewed. Happy are these hungry ones because their hunger is a sign of the call and promise of God's righteousness for them. Sixth, Jesus says those who delight in the Lord or are blessed are those who are merciful, for they will obtain mercy. These are those who serve not themselves but others. They have received mercy, so they act mercifully. They have a heart that has been broken and turned outward for the downtrodden and sick and the wronged, despicable, the outcast, the tormented. They are those who are made instruments of the Lord, hands healing this land. As 2 Chronicles 7.14 describes... No distress is too great. No sin is too appalling for these. They willingly cast off their own dignity to serve others. Their mercy finds its source in their master, who though being God, did not count himself equal with his heavenly father, but became man, was rejected, ridiculed, and suffered death for them. Those who are merciful are courageous witnesses of God's goodness as they make visible the hope of the gospel to this world. Yes, blessed are the merciful, for they trust not in themselves, but in the Lord's honor and dignity to cover them. Seventh, Jesus says, Those who delight in the Lord or are blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Who is pure in heart? But those who have surrendered their hearts completely to Jesus. The pure in heart have a childlike simplicity like Adam before the fall. They are innocent. Their hearts are not ruled by their conscience, but ruled by Christ. Jesus does not say, blessed are the pure intentions, but the pure in heart. Their hearts belong to him and look to him alone. It is the pure in heart who will see God. Those who are free from the carnal mind and conflicting desires. Like the moon reflects the light of the sun, the pure in heart reflects the image of Christ. Blessed are the pure in heart. Eighth. 
Jesus says, those who delight in the Lord or are blessed are those who are peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. They do not only have peace, but they give peace. They represent and reside from a peaceful kingdom. Despite the injustices of this world, they pursue peace. Both the peace that unites and the peace that takes away. They are instruments of purgation and instruments of reconciliation. They attempt no action apart from Christ's work and reward. They know that it was at the cross that peace was made. Peacemakers do not ignore truth. They execute it. They are active like their heavenly Father and His Son. And by acting, they are known as those who are of the Father's household. Yes, they partner in Christ's work, you see. And for this reason, they are called sons of God, as He Himself is the Son of God. And lastly, Jesus says, those who delight in the Lord or are blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for great is their reward. Notice how Jesus' sermon ends with him directly addressing his disciples. No longer is he describing his kingdom, he is calling and promising his followers personally. Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. For Jesus' sake, the disciples are reviled, but it's for his sake. Therefore, any injustice that a disciple experiences is not meaningless, but is full of great and profound meaning. Disciples suffer not in vain, but for a just cause. Their suffering links them to their Lord, and their profoundly, their profoundly it reveals their vindication. Peter says that our suffering, through our suffering, we are joined to Christ. It is through our suffering that we see how we are vindicated. Like the spiritually impoverished of the first beatitude, they have a great reward. It is through their suffering that they are made poor, and it is through their poverty that their reward is great, Jesus says. In conclusion, I draw again from the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer from his book, Cost of Discipleship, a book that has had a profound impact on me since my first reading of it nearly 20 years ago. He writes, Having reached the end of the Beatitudes, we must ask, is there any place on earth for this community? Clearly, there is one place and only one, and that is where the poorest, the meekest, and the sorely tired is to be found. 
It is the cross of Christ at Golgotha. The fellowship of the Beatitudes, he writes, is the fellowship of the crucified. With him, they have lost all. And with him, they have found all. You see, from the cross, there comes the call and the promise of blessed and happy and delighted in the Lord. Now we see why the psalmist says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He shall give you your heart's desire. You see, our heart's desire is not the law, but the fulfillment of the law. Jesus Christ. There is no pain in the one who fulfills the law, but only delight. There is therefore no condemnation, Paul writes, for those who are in Christ Jesus. With Him we see not our imperfections, but His perfection. For as Paul says in our epistle reading this morning, it is Him who is our righteousness. It is Him who is our sanctification. It is Him who is our redemption. Just as the Gospel of Matthew records Jesus' first sermon on a mountain, His Gospel ends with Christ meeting His disciples on a mountain. And just as His disciples came to Him in chapter 5, so do His disciples come to Him on a mountain in chapter 28. You see how Jesus fulfills the law and issues a divine rendezvous? He does not allow His disciples to remain apart from Him. No, He meets them. He meets them as those who have been atoned. And He gives them the pleasure of being made participants in His glorious redemption. And so rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. But not just in heaven, but here on earth too. For heaven has come upon us And we are spiritually raised to that blessed heavenly place with God the Son and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.